This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. I don't have a problem with Ben Roethlisberger calling out teammates. I agree with him. He's earned the right. And I think it's okay for him to do that. But if he's got a problem with a player, I don't care if it's a wide receiver or running back or a guard, I think the one obligation he does have is to tell them first, not let them find out he thinks they ran the wrong route on a radio show or in a post-game interview. That I have a problem with. I realize there's a code. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, or what happens and is said in the locker room stays in there. I don't have a problem with that. Times are changing. Social media has changed that a great deal. But I also think that a quarterback, absolutely, he's the leader of the team, especially a Hall of Fame quarterback, especially one who's been around as long as Ben has. But I also think that he has to go to James Washington and say, look, step it up. Maybe he did. If he thought that Antonio Brown should have flattened out his route in the final play, then he should have told Antonio Brown on the sideline. Or after they had a chance to watch it on tape on Monday not on a radio show on Tuesday or in locker room comments on Wednesday. If he's a little A.B., fine. And while Ben generally, when there's blame to be passed around, will stand up and say, yeah, I did this, it hasn't always been the case. There have been plenty of occasions throughout his career especially in a previous regime when plays were called and he blamed the offensive coordinator when, in fact, of course, he gets the latitude to change plays or to call him himself. Now, maybe that latitude has increased under Randy Feekner, but it wasn't like it didn't exist under Todd Haley. So standing up and taking the blame, yes, he's done that on occasion, but not always. But again, I do think that a, if a player has got a beef with a teammate, not personal, but about a play, I think that conversation first should be held in private or at least within the confines of the locker room. That's the one issue I have with that. It won't be anything lingering, one would not think. There have been bigger outbursts and public displays all that kind of thing, message received. So I don't think it's going to have a lingering effect on, on anybody. But I thought it was worth mentioning. I frankly tend to weigh, stay away from these locker room dramas, drama, trauma. Unless it affects the way they play, and I don't see this happening, I think it's just fodder for, it's clickbait. That's what it is.
The Chargers come in there with a record of 8-3. and three. Nobody would look askance. There's a good word. At 8-3, and three, which included a six-game winning streak. And I bring this up because yesterday we talked about what is the Steelers' signature win this season. At the time, and I think you have to look at it at the time because things change rapidly in the NFL. Didn't Tampa Bay start out 2-0? Yeah. And, of course, look at Houston. They were already being dead and buried. Now look at them. Saints lost their first game to Tampa, for crying out loud. You believe that? So the Chargers did not get off to a great start, but they had the six-game winning streak, lost to Denver, and then picked up another win last week, albeit against a weak opponent. Here's the thing. I looked at the Chargers, and in light of what we were talking about yesterday, meaning what is the Steelers' signature win? We thought it was Carolina at the time because they came in here with a record of 6-2, and two, and they looked like they were going to challenge the Saints in their division. But beginning with the Steeler game, they've now lost three in a row, and they're stumbling along at 6-5. and five. And when you look at the Steelers' victories this year, They've beaten the Baltimore team 6-5. and five. They've beaten this Carolina team 6-5. and five. But what other winning teams have they beaten? Let's look at the Chargers. The Chargers' losses are to the L.A. Rams, Kansas City, and Denver. The losses to the Rams in Kansas City, some think that that may be a Super Bowl preview, were by more than 10 points. Sometimes that can be misleading. Team can score a late touchdown or whatever. But against two very quality teams, they lost by more than 10 points. The Chargers' wins this year have come against, get ready now, This is not exactly a who's who of power teams in the NFL. Buffalo, the 49ers, the Raiders twice, the Browns, Tennessee, Arizona, and what you'd have to say is their signature win, Seattle. I'm sorry, that's not murderer's row. It, it's, it's no more impressive than the Steelers' schedule and victories. Right now, I think you'd have to say that the Chargers' best win was against Seattle. And they're a 6-5 and five team. I mean, Buffalo, the 49ers, Oakland twice. Arizona, there's some among the worst teams in the NFL. So you certainly respect the Chargers. But let's not get overly nervous about the game. It's an important game. 
And you could make the argument that this is one of the best quarterbacks they'll face all year long. But again, Buffalo, the 49ers, Oakland twice, Cleveland, Tennessee, they're not horrible, but Seattle and Arizona, they've beaten one team with a record over 500. And again, in this league, if you can win six games in a row, I don't care who you're playing, But I dare say that the Steelers' seven victories have been more impressive. Again, the signature win, I don't know. Was it Baltimore? They're 6-5. and five. I don't think they're a real good team. Was it Carolina? Hard to, them to figure. It certainly wasn't Atlanta. It wasn't Tampa Bay, although... The Buccaneers were 2-0 and when the Steelers went down there and beat them, although they had to sweat it out at the very end. But I also think you always must consider the level of competition. And eight wins is eight wins. Six-game winning streak is a six-game winning streak. But it's somewhat easier when you're playing Not only, they're not even mediocre teams. I mean, when you're playing the 49ers in Oakland and Buffalo, they're among the worst teams in the National Football League. And that right there comprises four of their victories. Now, the Steelers have had their issues with teams below 500, certainly. But I'm just saying... People shouldn't be wetting their pants over this game. It's a very important game. It certainly could set them up. But I'll just say it one more time. These are the Chargers' eight victories. Buffalo, the 49ers, the Raiders twice, Cleveland, Tennessee, Seattle, and Arizona. So Seattle's the only team above 500 there. And it's not just mediocre. I mean, Arizona, the Raiders, the 49ers, and Buffalo are awful. And the two top-quality teams they played, the Rams and the Chiefs, they lost by more than 10 points. Steelers lost by five to Kansas City, but that was at home. And the Chargers lost to Denver. I'm not saying... I'm just saying. Robert on Facebook says, I agree with you, Stan, uh, on Ben. I don't have a problem with him publicly criticizing teammates as long as he tells them about it first. You have to try to send a message, and I think that's fine, and I think, as Ben said, he's earned the right. But I also think that his teammates have the right to hear from him first before they hear it on a radio show for which Ben is handsomely paid. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Stan and Guy, hey, love the show, dude. That's absolutely right. It's Stan and Guy back together again. Here's Stan Saverin and Guy Junker. Saying that from a pressure standpoint, they, 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 uh, they, they bring some pressure, bring more than four a lot. Uh, but just in general, they just fly around and play like like you've seen Pittsburgh play for many years. So, I mean, I, you know, obviously it's, it's different than the Pittsburgh teams from way back, uh, but very similar. 
That is Philip Rivers, who's having a banner year. He had a certainly a uh, banner game last week, hitting the first 25, 28 uh, of 29 before they took him out of the game. Guy joins us now, brought to us by Shenerovich, Shenerovich, and Fishman. They got your back, not your wallet. Now, we were just talking about, uh, Guy, the remaining schedules of all the teams in competition, not necessarily for the division, although the division is still undecided, but I think we both agree the Steelers are going to win the division. The question is, where do they end up? I mean, what do you think their prospects of getting a bye really are? Yeah, but I mean, Baltimore's got road games in Atlanta, Kansas City, and the Chargers. Uh, uh, the Ravens are not going to catch the Steelers. Um, I think it'll come down to that game against the Patriots, Dan. They're going to have to win that and beat them out. They're not. I don't think they're going to catch Kansas City, and I can't see the Patriots losing more than maybe one game. They got Miami. They got Buffalo. They got the Jets. I got Minnesota this week. That could be tough. So I think the best you can hope for is they lose to Minnesota and then the Steelers beat them because I don't. the Steelers are going to lose one of, in my opinion, the Patriots or the uh, Saints games, if not both. Well, that's see, to me, that's why the Denver loss hurt. Right. We talked about that before they played those two games on the yeah. road, that those were – that one in the Oakland, because they always played terrible out in Oakland – kind of made you nervous. You know, the heebie-jeebies, I think, was the term that you used. And uh, you, especially when you let it slip away like that. But, you know, really, they didn't deserve the win in Jacksonville. They probably didn't deserve the lose in Denver. And it's a line drive caught and a blue ball that falls in. Well, the the wild card, and I don't mean the wild card position, but the wild card, two of them in, in all this, is that even in losing to Denver, they still – if they are able to beat the Chargers and the Patriots, they're a half game behind those two teams now, eight and three versus seven, three and one, but they would move ahead of them. So, I mean, they control their destiny in that regard. But the two other elements are number one, the New Orleans game. I mean, by losing to Denver, they almost now would have to win all three of those games. I think that's highly unrealistic. And the other wild card here in that context is Houston. If you're thinking that Kansas City will get the number one seed, and they have some games where they they have the Chargers, they have some games where they could be tested a little bit. They have to go to Seattle, I believe. Uh, but th- those are the two issues. Houston has a, a terribly easy schedule. They don't play a team the rest of the way that would be in the playoffs if they started now. Right. They're the only one of the group that the Steelers are batting with the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Ravens th- that has that situation. And the Steelers are the only one that has to play three playoff teams. Right. Indy has one game against a team over five. Excuse me, Houston has one game against a team over five hundred currently, and that's six. You know, in the Indianapolis, and they're hot right now. But I don't think anybody looks at them necessarily. At least uh, it's in Houston, though. The road game they go to the Jets and the Eagles. Yeah, combined record of the teams Houston has left is twenty-one and thirty-six. Yeah, although how you know well, they've won eight in a row. I mean, they're those, bound those, to lose one. Right. But even so. I mean, even with that, the chances are they're going to finish twelve and four. And unless the you know the Steelers win all the way out twelve three and one, they're going to fall behind them. And again, I just think that's unrealistic. I, I did bring this up, and I, I got some blowback on it um, uh, about the Chargers' victories. Uh, and I, yeah, I was listening and driving in. I didn't even realize that. I'll yeah, that's why I brought it very up. Very unimpressive group. Yeah. Um, and hey, uh, eight and three. You don't sniff at that. And you don't look down your nose at a team that won six in a row. It's hard to do in this league. Not many teams can do it. Uh, But Buffalo, the Raiders twice, San Francisco, Cleveland, Tennessee, Seattle, and Arizona. Arizona, the 49ers, and Oakland are among the – they're not even – 
below mediocre. They're awful. They stink. They stink. Well, the thing to me is a couple of things worried me about it despite their unimpressive resume. One, it's going to be 57 on Sunday. Yeah. And still in the 50s at game time or whatever. We remember what happened when they came in here for the AFC championship game and uh, what a nice day that was temperature-wise. And you always see that. I, I forget what the the, the, the the Chargers' all-time record in games where the kickoff's below freezing is ridiculously terrible. And the other thing is those West Coast teams always are at a disadvantage when they got to play a 1 o'clock game because of the time difference. Now they got they can wait till the night. So a couple of things with the scheduling is is in their favor. But I think what really kills them is losing Melvin Gordon. I mean, Melvin Gordon is one of those guys that he, he was sixth in the league in rushing going in the last weekend, Stan. Unless you're a fantasy geek or whatever and really following that stuff, you don't you don't hear about him that often. He hurts, uh, sprains his MCL. As good as Phillip Rivers is, I think it makes him very one-dimensional. Yeah, Melvin Gordon, uh, they use him a lot like the Steelers use Le'Veon Bell and a lot like they're trying to use uh, James Conner. It's, it's a big loss for them, uh, and it doesn't make them one-dimensional, but it is someone that you don't have to you know, have to worry about uh, in that regard. You know, the one thing about the, the weather, um, I, I honestly think it's more the starting time because, I mean, yeah. you know, unless it's wintry and the snow's blowing i mean if it's th- whatever the record is thir- i mean 32 you start running around you know you don't feel that they'd have played it tuesday but if, if yeah exactly yeah, they'd have yeah. played it last night uh it was i was out it was it, it was pretty cold but the one o'clock started it interests me um that the chargers apparently are coming in here on friday perhaps yeah. to negate some of that yeah and I, you know i, I think if you don't travel a lot, you might think a lot of this stuff is – I used to think the stuff about the altitude in Denver was overblown and just easy fodder for people to talk and write about leading up to trips to there until I went skiing out there one time, Stan, and I felt like – and I was younger in a much better shape, like there was an elephant sitting on my chest when I was finished coming down one of the slopes. Um, and it, so I can see how it, it does affect people. I mean, I'm not – I wouldn't give the Penguins an excuse last night for getting in late whenever actually the Avalanche got in later than they did the night before. But, but I mean, I, all those all those things I think we sort of take for granted. Other professionals, they do this, they do that. But, yeah, if you don't get any sleep or your body clock's a little different, college teams, college teams, the pack, pack 12 teams that come east and play have a terrible record when they play at noon or 1 o'clock in the afternoon in the east. You know, it's interesting for this reason. Um, this very well. We're talking about buys and all that stuff. I mean, right now, I mean, uh, maybe you know what? Maybe even if they'd have beaten Denver, you'd have to look and say so then, they, they, it's going to be problematic. Mathematically, right now, they say they have a 22% chance of getting one of the buys. So if that holds, this very well could be a preview of a first-round playoff matchup at Heinz Field. And we don't know what day it would be. We don't know what time it would be. But, I mean, that could be an early start, and they'd have to come right back here. And, and my, it could be 10 degrees. Exactly. Um, I hope not for my sake, because I don't you know, walk in the parking lot to the press box uh, in 10 degree weather. But seriously, um, you know, this, this very well could be a preview of that game. And one would think that Melvin Gordon would be there for that one. Well, I, you know, I was listening to you talk about the, their lack of uh, impressive uh, wins on their schedule, the Chargers. And I also, I always like the Steelers in a week after they. Kind of, you know, you know what they did. The <laughs> uh, family show, I don't want to say, but I, I like them to come back this week. Despite a little bit of the sniping that's going on and the, the controversy, I think, was more caused by national media 
uh, ripping on Ben for you know criticizing some of the some of the guys in the locker room. I, I I don't get the feeling it's that big of a deal down there. I don't either. I you know I tend to stay away from that stuff. Uh, unless I feel it really affects the way the team's playing, that's my job. Well, I think he definitely has. I, and frankly, well, there are two separate issues here. And I wanted, that was my next question okay. to you. The next topic, and we've we've asked people here. Um, he says I've earned the right. He absolutely has, and I have no problem with calling people out given his stature. But there are a couple things. Number one, did he tell them that personally? Did he say that to him in the locker room, in the huddle, on the sideline? I do think, while he has the right to call him out, I also think they have a right to hear from him first directly before they hear it on a show or in a media scrum on Wednesday morning. Well, I, I agree with that, but I, I I actually think that although he has the right to call him out, it's not necessary to make it public. It's great for us. I mean, I'm glad he did. He did. We, we complain. Yeah. But I think... I think he perfectly well has the right to do it in the locker room, but I think it's best left unsaid in the media. What do you gain by doing that? Do you really think you're lighting a fire under a kid that made a mistake because now the reporters have heard you criticize him? If you go aside and criticize I'm sure Mike Tomlin talked to Washington about it as well. And and then it rings a little more hollow, too, when in the same breath you're forgiving James Conner, who is now given a game and a half away, in my opinion, mm-hmm. with two fumbles. Uh, but but he's he's my guy. He's my running back. You can't pick and choose. Then you really start getting. Then then I think you do start getting factions broken off in the locker room. Look, I, I think you know it's best left unsaid publicly. He does have a right to you know to criticize and to talk about it to those guys. But I I I'll say this. I thought that was a sincere because I think Ben a lot of times has has been reprogrammed to say what he's supposed to say. And I you know it's just it's it's fodder. I thought his answers in this subject matter yesterday was as honest and as, as uh, sincere as he's been in talking about a topic in a long time. And the fact that he, he does view himself as a leader and he does, has been around long enough. He thinks to, and, and when, as soon as he said, well, I don't know what they think about it. You have to go ask them. And sure enough, when I asked James Washington, James Washington said, Hey, everybody's got free speech and he is a captain. And, and he says, everybody has free speech in here. So he didn't seem put off by it. No, uh, and I would imagine, well, Tomlin said the same thing on Tuesday. Um, He doesn't come out and say he stinks, um, but it's like he said, you know, he was asked about Grimble. He said, I want the ball in the end zone when talking about, you know, what Grimble did. Uh, And I I think that, uh, that, you know, sometimes guys do need to be called out. I would say this, um, uh, I think protecting Connor is a lot in protecting Connor from the constant Le'Veon Bell comparison. I think yeah. that's why he's standing up for him in that regard because what's the first thing people said? Well, that's the fourth fumble um, that he's committed. Um, in like 250. 266 t- touches. Yeah, it took over 900, 900 for Bell to have four fumbles, right. And you know what? I, I mentioned this very briefly, but but perhaps not enough. Uh, I went back, and thanks to Jerry DiPaolo, um, who actually came up uh, with this, uh, about – Connor's fumbling at Pitt, and I thought that somebody asked me about that. that was, that's a good question to ask. Um, in his three seasons at Pitt, um, he had 668 carries and had seven fumbles. So it's not like he was a fumbler uh, at Pitt. I don't know. This particular issue, what happened in Cleveland. Um, Compounded by two huge drops the week before yes. that very well could have cost yeah. him that game. I mean, And, if and you, the funny thing is, it's almost since. Since it became – Known that Bell wasn't coming back since four o'clock that Tuesday, 
he's disappeared from from what he was doing when there was still a chance that he was coming back. I, I think it's just coincidence, but it is a little weird. Well, let me add something else, and maybe this is coincidence too that I brought up, and that is the last two games were coming off being in concussion protocol. Well, that may be the biggest reason. He was removed from the Carolina game. Um, the, the thing that struck me about the, the last two games, not the drop passes um, and uh, or even the fumble, uh, but his lack of production. In the Jacksonville game, I understood that because they, they tried and they just weren't be able to run the ball at all. But that was not the case in Denver. I mean, he did have over four yards per carry. It's not like it was 1.5 and they were getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage. They, you know, he had 53 yards and 14 carries. Um, you know, it's not the best day he's ever had, but it's not just him. It's the offensive line. I just thought that he abandoned it way too quickly because that they were having success moving the ball with the pass game. But I always think there's – there's room for balance in an well, offense. Well, they were having success moving the ball, but they didn't know that when they started out with a scripted 10-play passing drive without one single run against a team that, you know, um, that, that seemed like they might have been susceptible to the run. So it seemed like they may have abandoned it even before they knew they were going to have that kind of throwing success. Yeah. You know, the one thing about the criticism part, Stan, and uh, whether you hate Joe Paterno or love Joe Paterno, one thing I learned from him in doing that weekly show for 23 years he was always very when when things were going to swimmingest is when he criticized and ripped players the most. And on a seven game winning streak and running backs getting mentioned for the Heisman, that's when he would tear them apart. And when they'd lose two games in a row or blow a game or had the fans were up there, that's when he would support them. And I think I think that's I think I thought that was that was a very good way in general of handling business. Don't let anybody get too big of a head and don't let anybody get too down either. Well, that's what. The, <clears throat> <clears throat> just to, you know, mix metaphors here, if you will. That's exactly what Mike Sullivan did when they were going very badly. Right. He said, I'm not going Gonna to pile, pile on. on. Now is not the time. And up until this point, um, it, it's worked. We'll have a chance to talk about some some Penguin hockey. Coming up next, Matt Smith is the play-by-play voice of the Los Angeles uh, Chargers, slightly north of Los uh, San Diego. Uh, can I say that? Uh, Charlie Batch finds me a dollar every time I say the San Diego Chargers. So I hope Stan, that they don't play them in the playoffs. When we, I was looking for their highlights Sunday night. We get them fed to us from from CNN. They have them. They have them slugged on the internet. San, San Diego, Diego San Diego, Arizona final. So everybody does it. It uh, it, it takes a while. Um, it it takes a while. But Matt Smith is their play by play voice, and he's on his way east. He'll join Stan, a guy that's coming up next. Right here on Stan and Guy. Love the show, Saverin on Sports, ESPN. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Grenady! Grenady! Gordon, touchdown! Yes! He spun, was tackled, but found the end zone. Rivers, end zone, Mike Williams, touchdown! Cardinals are saying no, the official says yes. The amazing thing about that game against Arizona is that they scored, Arizona did, the first 10 points of the game. Yeah, Larry Fitzgerald had a touchdown. That was 41st NFL stadium he's caught a pass in. Wow. There's one person who doesn't vote for him for the Hall of Fame. Their credentials ought to be ripped out of their hands. Uh, but then the Chargers scored 49 unanswered points. I mean, who does that? 
Well, 25 consecutive passes is ridiculous. Completions. Although that, um, what's his name, Mike Williams, he had a couple of catches in there that <laughs> kept that going. Uh, the, you know, the, the, you're going to get a streak like that. You need a receiver yanking some in. He was tiptoeing in the end zone a few times. Well, you know what's interesting about that, uh, too? You know, they have been in the past, they have been so Antonio Gates-centric, but now it appears that they really spread the ball around a great deal. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I wonder how much they're being overshadowed uh, with the Rams' success and everything in L.A. right now. I mean, you know, they they, they play in that smaller stadium and um, – Well, we're, waiting we're waiting on Matt. We're waiting on uh, Matt yeah, Smith. Okay. So I, want, I want to ask him about that, the acceptance level. Yeah, that's what I, I mean, the place only seats 27,000. I think that they've got another year to go there before they, they and the Rams, the Rams move into that new, new stadium. Isn't it 2020? I think. Yeah, I don't think it's ready for next year, but I'm not positive. But why don't they play in the Coliseum when the Rams are on the road? Or uh, I, I, I don't know. Maybe there's an issue with USC and they can't accommodate both Great teams. teams. I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that. But it was um, – you know, they wanted a new stadium, and there's still, you know, an issue about whether or not they've made the right move. I don't know that you can necessarily judge them um, on where they're at now because it's not a permanent place. It's not a legitimate football stadium. No. And I, I just wonder, uh, I believe it's about an hour and a half north of San Diego, almost equidistant between Los Angeles and San Diego. Uh, I wonder how many of their fans have remained loyal to them and are willing to make that trip every week. Well, Potash still follows him. He said he wouldn't, he but he does. Then he wouldn't. His big <laughs> sign, and but he, he does, and he'll be at the game on Sunday night. Don't punch him if you see him. We're joined now by Matt Smith, who's the play-by-play voice of the Los Angeles Chargers. Matt, you were staying a guy. Welcome. Thanks for being with us. Oh, come on. It's an honor. Happy to be with you all. Well, thank you. Uh, appreciate that. Um, we were just talking about what is the acceptance level been, before we talk about X's and O's? Sure. What has the acceptance level been um, in that sort of Neverland <clears throat> between L.A. and San Diego? Well, you know the stadium's actually pretty close to L.A. Um, just to kind of, I guess, ge- geographically put it in your mind's eye, uh, Carson is kind of sandwiched right between uh, Compton and uh, sort of the, 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 the port of Long Beach. So you're kind of right in the middle of it. Um, I mean, it's definitely part of sort of the greater L.A. area. Um, as far as acceptance from L.A., it's going to take a while. It's definitely not there. Um, I don't think it's there for the Rams either, but they certainly had that one-year head start, and that brand of football has definitely caught the attention of fans here. Um, and I would say, yeah, the, the Chargers are struggling. I mean, I think they need to make a, a run in the playoffs, maybe win a playoff game or two, or heck, get all the way to the Super Bowl to really kind of grab the attention of Los Angeles. What is the, What have the crowds been like at that stadium, Matt? I mean, that's the best way I can describe it. It's such a small stadium. It's 24,000. Um, you know, all the tickets are sold uh, because the secondary market is kind of where all the action is. A lot of brokers bought a lot of those tickets because of the high demand from visiting fans. I mean, it is such a unique experience that basically they're selling all of the lowest price tickets, the $90 tickets, for about 150 bucks a pop wow. because, you know, people want to come in and see it. They want to, you know, see their Broncos, Chiefs, you know, 49ers in a 20 
three, four thousand seat venue. It really is cool. I mean, it's it's. I think it's the best experience in it in the NFL right now. It'll only be here, you know, next year, and that'll be the end of it. No one will ever do it again. And I get why they why they come, you know. And and unfortunately, I think that's kind of what squeezed the the Charger fan or the you know potential fan out. Is you're talking about double, triple the price of the tickets that people are willing to pay to kind of get in on that action. Matt, of course, both the Rams and the Chargers have played in L.A. in the past. Is it bad? I, that the Rams are doing so well for the Chargers organization. I guess I'm asking, are, are there people on the fence there that are, will pick their team to follow depending on which one does better, or are there still you know, residual Rams fans from before and Chargers fans from before? Yeah, no, I think that's a, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I do think there were Rams fans from before um, that, that were happy to embrace them when they returned. No question. Um, and, and also I think there was probably – a contingency of NFL fans that had not kind of staked the claim to another team over this 25-year absence um, that they felt super loyal to and just kind of hopped on the Rams as soon as they came back because they were the first team here. The one thing that's kind of hard to figure out, I think, for the Chargers is how many of those North County San Diego Charger fans are still sticking around because there's definitely some. I mean, I get the the Twitter traffic and and I see them, you know, when I'm walking the stadium on Sunday, but it's just hard to tell because it's such a small stadium. So I don't know how many of them, you know, were kind of in that forty to sixty dollar a ticket price range that just don't have that available to them. You know, your average ticket's about hundred fifty bucks. Um, so I, I think it's kind of hard to figure out because I think that's what they're going to need the Chargers to really kind of have a viable presence in L.A. is they're going to have to claim Orange County, which is about $4 million, you know, keep that North County in San Diego, which is another 2 to $3 million, and then try to, you know, get your, your chunk of the 7 million people in it, 7 to 9 million people in L.A. that's available. And I think a lot of those folks are starting to tilt towards the Rams, A, because they were here first, and B, it's just such an exciting product. Yeah, undoubtedly, um, you know, with, with Gurley and, and the kind of offense they play, Matt Smith, the Chargers play-by-play voice, is our guest on Savern on Sports. And Matt, let's talk about this Chargers team. We uh, kicking around uh, the the nobody sniffs at eight wins. Nobody looks down their nose at eight and three or a six-game winning streak. But looking at some of the teams they've beaten, are in your view the Chargers as good as an eight and three record would seem to indicate based on the opponents? I think so. Um, just because you know they're. They, Basically, they had to do sort of – they had to play at a playoff level. I'm trying to figure out the best way to describe it because you're right. The record of the opponents is not that impressive. But I think, A, Phillip Rivers has been special. I think he's been playing at an MVP level. Before he got hurt, Melvin Gordon, I think, was playing at an MVP level. I think you're talking about two quarter, you know, a quarterback-running back combination that was pretty much top five in every category. Um, and the defense – basically had to manufacture not necessarily wins, but the ability to win games on that side of the ball when they were down Joey Bosa, you know, one of probably the five best defensive players in the league. And they were able to do that with rookies, um, particularly Derwin James, who played at a very high level from the start. And now they've had to do it, you know, after losing interior lineman, Corey Legit was gone the first four. Now he's been gone the last two. Denzel Perriman, their leading tackler and their middle linebacker, they've had to account for. So I think in light of that, it's almost sort of leveled the playing field in a lot of those games because of, of sort of the lack of talent that they were playing with at key positions and, and special talent, too. 
Um, and I think now that they're getting healthy, I think they're better equipped to make a run at, at some of those better teams. You know, and, those, and the losses, and, and this is going to, you know, I almost hate doing it because it sounds like excuse making, but, you know, the game against the Chiefs was weird. There were just so many drops in that game by wide receivers. I mean, you had Tyrell Williams drop two, literally two touchdown passes that resulted in field goals against that high, you know, high power offense of the Chiefs. And then in the, the Rams game, you know, you had Keenan Allen, one of the most sure handed receivers in the NFL fumble a ball that, you know, was going to give the, the Chargers the lead on, on that first drive out of halftime. So, I, I, I don't know. You tell me, Stan. Does that sound like excuse making? I guess no. what I'm saying is, you know, they were in the thick of those two games, but weird things happened. Matt, it's not a, a, a secret that the Steelers had a lot of interest in, in Philip Rivers in the 2004 draft. They didn't get a chance to take him. They got Roethlisberger. I mean, the two of them were thrown for over 108,000 yards together. I had cars that didn't make it that far when I was a teenager. Um <laughs> Does it burn him, covering him on a regular basis? How, how much does it bother him that he, you know, unlike Manning or Roethlisberger, guys like that, has not gotten the ring yet? How much would it mean for him to get one? Yeah, a ton. And and, and you know, and I believe he is such a sincere guy, uh, and he is he he does not mince words. And I believe him, you know, at his word, especially you know, kind of considering, you know, how important his faith is to him when he says it. I don't think he's lying. He says, you know, it's less about me and more about how much I feel responsible to the guys on this team. He's like, I just feel like they're, you know, that it's that it's my responsibility to win them a Super Bowl. And he really kind of clarified it when Antonio Gates rejoined the team and he just kind of it wasn't necessarily emotional but it, it, it was very it just sounded truthful he said you know the most exciting thing for me about Antonio coming back is that guy deserves a Super Bowl and I got another chance to get it for him because he's one of the greatest to ever play the game he changed the position at tight end and there's nothing I want more than to see that guy hold that Lombardi trophy and knowing that he's coming back means I got another shot to get it to him so I think that's kind of of sort of how he views winning a championship is that as a quarterback and a leader, it's his responsibility to get guys, you know, like Mike Pouncey and Antonio Gates and Melvin Ingram a Super Bowl win because he thinks they have the talent and they have the commitment and deserve it. You know, Matt, we were kicking this around. Uh, the weather's going to be pretty warm here. It's going to be in the high 50s, which uh, yesterday was like 28 here, so um, with a little bit of snow, so that's uh, going to be better weather. But Western teams that come east for 1 o'clock games, it's been problematic, not just for the Chargers, but virtually every team does that. Uh, I was interested to see that the Chargers are planning on coming in Friday. Was that to try to avoid that kind of an issue, to get here a day early? Maybe a little bit. Um, I'll tell you what, though. I think they like being on the road. They're not crazy about their stadium. Um, And I think one thing that it's done is it's really kind of made them battle-tested for the road. All those opposing fans that show up and the noise that they have to deal with at the home, it's almost like they do have 16 road games. And and I think when you look at their road record, they've been pretty darn good. Um, I mean, this season especially, they've been great on the road. You know, their one loss came in L.A. against the Rams. So otherwise, they've really kind of cleaned house. So I think there is something about this team, especially because, you know, we were gone as a team, uh, you know, and not, not that I'm part of the team, but, you know, we were on the road for four weeks out of five. You know, we had, and the fifth was a bye week. So there's something happened there with this team. So I think there is a little bit to it with, A, the time zone, and B, the climate, you know, just in case it was going to be really cold to try to adapt to that and practice outside um, on Saturday instead of leaving first thing Saturday morning, you know, or right after practice on Saturday. Um, so I think I, I do think there is something to that. And also, you know, last year they played really well on the road in those cold-weather climates. You know, they played the Giants twice. It was cold both times. 
I'm sorry, they played New York twice, the Jets and Giants. It was cold both times, and they performed well. So I do think there's probably a little bit to that. And, and it's weird, if you look historically at Phillip Rivers, he's actually played really well in cold-weather games. So, you know, I guess for someone who grew up in, in Alabama and played in North Carolina, he said he's got a little bit of experience, you know, with inclement conditions compared to what we're used to here, which is, you know, 70 and breezy every single day. Man, I, I think Melvin way to Gordon. Rub, way to rub it in, man. I'm glad. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I got that in. Yeah, I, I figured, yeah, we're just waiting for an opening. So hey, the good last for time you. I was in San Diego for Monday Night Football was like 93 at kickoff. Remember yeah. that when the Steelers were out there a couple years ago? Yeah. It was, though, hot. I always heard it's 75 and pleasant there every day. Well, that's why they moved north, see, because it was too <laughs> hot in go. San Diego. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> man, I think Melvin Gordon's one of the most under-radar running backs in the league. I mean, you, you don't, he doesn't seem to get mentioned up there with the top guys. How... Is he definitely out? Because we haven't gotten a clear for, for this game. So. And and yeah. and what does that? How how much does that hamper what they want to do? Yeah, I think you, you know you, you're right. He's he's not talked about enough. You know, with the girlies and the Lev Bells, and and that's probably because this was really his first year that he really put it together. Now he had a great year last year, no question. Over 1,200 yards from scrimmage. You know, I think he had 14 total touchdowns. And you know, right before he got hurt, he had just gone over that 1,200 yard mark from scrimmage again uh, for the third season in a row and double digit touchdowns. So, and I, and I point that out just because he's a do everything back. You know, he's really good catching the ball in the backfield. He's really good in blitz pickup and pass pro. He's really good between the tackles uh, and. And this is the year that he really got to be a punishing runner because he's big. I mean, he's six six one, two twenty, and late in the games is when you've started to see when you started to see him really establish his physical presence. I think he was second in yards after contact, first in broken tackles. So that's what you lose. Um, what what you have to replace it isn't anyone that can do all of that. But I think the depth. It's actually one of the positions where they have. You know, pretty darn good depth. Austin Eckler, I think, could start for a lot of teams in this league. Um, he's a smaller back, but he's probably pound for pound the strongest guy on the team. Uh, so he's comfortable between, between the tackles. He's got really good vision, uh, but he doesn't have that ability to punish like Melvin did. Now you flip that over to their seventh-round pick, Justin Jackson, uh, who you know basically set every record there was to set at Northwestern. And I think when you can pound him and Detrez Newsom, their third-rounder, you can kind of get some of that physical – if it's late in the game, let's lean on those guys and start rotating them and to try to get that back from Melvin. So they have it all. They just have it in three different guys, and it'll be interesting to see how, how Anthony Lynn chooses to use them. Well, it's an intriguing game, and obviously NBC wanted to bump this up and flex it out, and why not? Uh, it's the premier matchup of the weekend. Uh, we're looking forward to the ball game. Have a safe trip in. Matt, we really appreciate your time today. Uh, hopefully we'll be able Thanks, to uh, uh, check in with each other in the press box Sunday night. Oh, you got it. Look forward to seeing you guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, looking forward, I love Pittsburgh, so I've not been there in a while. I'm really excited to get back out there, especially getting an extra day to do some damage on Saturday and get around. <laughs> <the house. laughs> okay. Well, we've already, we've already alerted the local police force that you're on the way in, so uh, be ready. See you at All right, thank, thank you, Matt. Matt. Matt Smith, play-by-play voice. Uh, the, he got some pipes, huh? Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah. He's he's uh, got a great voice. Obviously, um, I guess accountants can have great voices, but that's that's a voice for radio right there.